So we are having a baptism on July the 8th. We're excited about it. We have about seven people right now registered to be baptized. And uh, hopefully today we're going to have a few more. But I want to talk, today's going to be a little different in how I teach and preach. I'm asking you to do a frequently asked question about baptism. And maybe it'll be a refresher for some of you. For some of you, it will be first-time information. For some of you, you'll scratch your head and say, oh, well, that's different. And for others, you'll say, yeah, I've known that all of my life. But uh, I I want to give you Exalt Church's view on baptism because we've never done one before. We're about nine months old now, and this will be our very first of many, many baptisms I believe that we're going to have because we're expecting God to bring people to become Christ followers uh, week after week after week. So let's jump into it, shall we? Number one, here's a question we get often. Does baptism make me a Christian? Does it make me a Christ follower? And, and in other words, I mean, does baptism save me, some would ask. And the short answer is no. But let's look at what the Bible says. Number one, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says, you are saved by faith. Did you catch that? You are saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. God always treats us better than we deserve. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his love, but he loves me. And he says, this faith and this salvation is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. But pastor, you said I had to have faith. Who gave you the faith? God gave you the faith. Who gave you the grace? God gave you the grace. Who saved you? It's God. He has saved you. He has called you. And it's not something you've earned. So there is nothing you can brag about it. I can't say, God, you saved me because I'm a good person. I can't say, God, you saved me because I'm a member of Exalt Church. I can't say, God, you saved me because you sprinkled me with water as a baby. I can't say, you saved me because Grandma was Catholic. I can't say, God, you saved me because Grandpa was Baptist. I can't say you saved me because I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, I'm a preacher. I can't say you saved me because I am, insert your denominational name here. We aren't saved by grandma's faith or daddy's faith. We're not saved because I don't smoke or chew or run with girls who do. We're saved by grace through faith. And he gave it both to us. The very fact that you say, Jesus, save me. The very fact you can even believe that or speak that or say that is God's gift to you. Thank him for it today. Amen. And some say, well, don't you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Luke 23 and verse 43 says these words. Jesus was upon the cross and to an unbaptized criminal who couldn't get off the cross and go be baptized, Jesus said to him, Today, unbaptized thief, today, unbaptized unbeliever who has now become a believer, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen for that. Number two, so who should be baptized? Quick answer, short answer, every Christ follower. Every believer, 
Everyone who has received the gift and the grace of God in salvation should be baptized. So in other words, unbelievers should not be baptized, but believers, Christ followers, should. Let's look at a few verses in Scripture that prove this. Acts 2 and 41 says, Those who, were, who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. And what did Peter say? Peter was preaching the gospel, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ for his provision for our sins. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. It says, But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning God's kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, and as a result, many, say many, men and women were baptized. Who was baptized? Men who believed. Who were baptized? Women who believed. What did they believe? They believed the good news. They believed the message that there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to be saved. It's in the cross and the death of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 13. There was this weird guy there in the church at that time who wanted to make a power play, and he wanted to buy the power of God. And when he saw the power in the disciples, he became a believer. And the Bible says, and he believed and was baptized. So who should be baptized? Believers. That is who should be baptized. So that leads us to this question. How do I become a believer? How do I become a Christian? I prefer the word Christ follower. How do I become a Christ follower? Well, let's read it very quickly. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22 says, Now God says he will accept and acquit us. In other words, declare us not guilty. How? If we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. i got to pause there. You're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in your denominational affiliation. You're not trusting in your pastor, whether he's a good guy or not a good guy. You're not trusting in your Baptist grandma or your Pentecostal grandpa or your Nazarene uncle. You are trusting in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way. By praying the rosary? No. By praying to Mary? No. By being baptized a Lutheran? No. We're all saying the same way, being born Jewish? No. We are By being a born American, being patriotic and standing during the national anthem? No. We can all be saved the same way, by coming to Christ Jesus. No matter who you are, and no matter what you have been like, how do I become a Christ follower? I come to Christ. I come knowing that I can't fix myself. I come knowing I can't save myself. I come knowing it's not about having a self-help book, and if I do these five things, I'll be saved. That's religion, and that's not Christianity. You're not saved by coming to church. You're not saved by even going under the water. You're not saved by coming and, and serving on our setup team, although we appreciate you. 
We're saved by coming to Christ. Romans 10, 13 puts it this way. It says, everyone who calls on the name of Christ will have God's grace apply to their lives. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I believe upon you. Save me. And when I say I believe upon Jesus, what am I believing upon? I'm believing upon his sacrificial work. And when I say that word, I know I live in the year 2018. I know I live in urbanized eastern Virginia, and we don't understand sacrifice because we're not around it. And so when I say that word, you go, oh yeah, sacrifice. That's what the Mayans used to do way back when. But, but I, I want to get you right here on what sacrifice is today. And the best illustration I can come up is this one. In July, when you're out at your grill and you grill that hamburger or that steak that gives you life, that gives you energy, as you eat that steak or you eat that hamburger, you're eating something that gave up its life, probably unwillingly, but gave up its life for you to live. And we have cleaned it up because we go to Kroger or we go to Walmart or Harris Teeter or, or, or Whole Foods, wherever you go, and you go in and it's in styrofoam and it's wrapped up and it's a clump of red hamburger and we are so disconnected from it because we're urbanized and we're westernized and we don't know it. But that lump of meat used to be a living, breathing thing and it has died and because it dies, I live. I eat and I am benefited from the very hamburger I live. Now, if you're, a, if you're a, a green eater and you're a vegetarian, same concept to some extent, a little different. There's no blood, but you're eating the greens that once were lived and they died and now you live. But the concept is an animal that lives and dies and gives up its life. It dies in your place. Now, let's take it to the next, next step. Now you understand sacrifice. Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He said that in John chapter 6. If you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you shall live. What is he saying? He's saying, if you recognize that I am the sacrifice for sin, that I died so you can live. The cow dies no matter what you've done. And either you can reject it or waste it or walk away from it or you can eat it and receive it and have energy and have life. You may ignore it and walk by it and say, that's not for me and walk by it. But the fact is, it still dies. And oftentimes we do that with Jesus. Sometimes we are the angry atheist and we say, I reject you. I don't want you. I don't believe in you. More, more often or not, in our culture, it's not this angry atheism or this lukewarm agnosticism. It's more simply this, you see it, uh, it's not for me. And you walk off. Jesus Christ died upon the cross as a substitute to do for me 
what I could not do. I could not pay for my sin. I did not have enough in my moral bank account to pay God for all the sins I've committed. There was nothing in me that could make him happy in and of myself. I needed a savior. And God said, here is how I'm going to save you. I'm going to send my son into the world because I so love humanity. And he is going to give his life. He is going to die in your place. He's going to take my anger and my wrath and he will pay the debt that you and I could not pay. Why? Because he is perfect. Why? Because he is pure. Why? Because Jesus was not a prophet. He wasn't a man. He was the God-man. Perfectly God, perfect man. Boom! Mind blown. God-man. And he was perfect and without sin. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted. He was tempted to look at a girl, and he did not sin. He was tempted to overeat, and yet he did not sin. Are you with me? He was tempted in every way to have greed and to disobey the Father. But the Bible says he was perfect. So he lived the perfect life that I have failed to live. He died the perfect death upon the cross because he wasn't dying for himself, he was dying for us. That's the sacrifice. And then God the Father looked upon his perfect sacrifice and he says, I recognize what you have done. I recognize your perfection. I recognize your sinlessness. I am satisfied. And to testify to the fact that I am satisfied, come forth, arise, and live. And Jesus Christ rose, and we celebrate it every Easter. The fact he is alive, God is, the Father is saying that Jesus the Son was perfect. He paid the price. There is nothing else to do. The fact that upon the cross, Jesus says, it is finished is actually an economic term he is saying i have paid the bill no one owes anything believe in me hallelujah and there'll be a day i'll stand before the father and the father if he were to ask me roger why should i let you into my heaven i will not say because i'm a good man because i am not a good man it won't let me in. I will not say I pastored a great church. I will not say, well, because, you know, I'm just a nice personality, see? I will say, here is why, Father, let me into heaven. Because I believed in the only way, the only truth, the only life. Your son, the one that you gave, the one who freely came and paid the price I could not pay. Based upon his life, I live. And if he is a fraud, send me to hell because he's all I believed in. I stand in him. Everyone who calls upon the name of Christ shall be saved. Listen, you may have been raised Catholic, you may have been a Baptist preacher's kid like my bride. You may, have been, you may have started preaching at nine years old like I did. None of those things save us. Those are the fruits of our lives. Perhaps they are not the root of our lives. And I want to give you an opportunity right now, right where we're at, 
when I talk about these things, some churches don't speak about them because they're not popular or because we think people know them. Do you realize we live in a culture that doesn't even know who Jesus Christ is anymore? I stood in an elementary school in the country in this great city of ours, and I heard a young boy when they were asked, who is Martin Luther King Jr.? Here was the answer. Isn't he the one that died upon the cross for our sins? Rural Virginia did not know who Jesus Christ was. And MLK Jr. was a great guy, but he wasn't the Savior, was he? Amen. Right where you're at, you can become a Christ follower. And I don't do it this way. I'm going to tell you how we come out and tell people we're Christ followers later. I don't ask you to raise your hand. I don't ask you to walk down the aisle. That's what baptism is for. I don't make you say, hey, come out in front. And let's, no, that's what baptism, baptism is saying publicly, I am a Christ follower. But how do you become a Christ follower? Let's call upon the name of the Lord and let's be saved. Can you close your eyes for just a moment? And if you're suspect, keep your eyes open and look around if you want. But right where you are, if you're a believer and a Christ follower, pray with me. But if you're not a Christ follower and you want to become a Christ follower, you want to accept his life today in the place of your life, pray with me out loud. And fellow believers, help me pray. Say, dear God, thank you for making me and for loving me even when I'm gone my own way. I realize today I need you in my life. I need a Savior. I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask you to forgive them. I ask Jesus Christ to become my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying upon the cross. And thank you, Father, for raising him from the dead. I don't know how. But as much as I know how, I choose to follow you. Take my life and transform me into a new creature. I call upon you, Jesus, and I accept you as my Savior. Amen and amen. Can someone say yes to that? Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. No matter what you've done, no matter what you thought, no what, matter where you've been, if you have prayed that prayer, not the words, but in your heart, believing what you prayed, you are a Christ follower. Roger, I don't feel different. We don't go by feelings. It's by faith, trusting in what he has said. Amen. Hallelujah. Number four, let's move on here. Why should every Christ follower be baptized? So if it doesn't save us, why do it? Look at what Jesus did. The Bible says that Jesus commanded it. So let's look. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, Go then to all the people everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. So why should I be baptized? Because Jesus commands it. And why should I be baptized? Because it follows the example of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Matthew 3 and verse 16 says, 
as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So why was Jesus baptized? He did it as an example to show what he was going to do, that he was going to die and that he was going to be raised. It was an example. Number five, very quickly we're moving here. So why does Exalt Church baptize by immersion? Wow, that's probably the most theological term you're going to hear from me in a while. Immersion. It means, why does Exalt Church baptize by dunking us underwater? Why do you do that? Why don't you just sprinkle a little bit? Well, first of all, the word baptize, actually let's go there. Every baptism in the Bible, first of all, was done by dunking them, by dipping them. Let me give you one example. Acts 8 and verse 38, then both Philip and the man went down in the water and Philip baptized him. And the Bible says that when they came out of the water. So here's what's happening. They're riding along in a chariot and Philip tells this, this prince of Ethiopia, this, this royal court member, tells him about Jesus. And they're riding along, and they have a little water to drink in the chariot, of course, but they wait till they come to this large body of water. And the man says to Philip, hey, what is, what is keeping me from being baptized right now? Let's do it. There's some water there. Let's do it. And so they went to the large body of water and baptized him in the water. And the Bible says, when they came up, out of the water. So that's one example. So every baptism of the Bible was done by dipping them, by dunking them, by plunging them, by immersing them. Second, the word baptize actually means to dip underwater. Baptizo in the Greek language, to plunge, to dip. I don't want to scare you, to drown. Did you just tell me, Pastor, you're going to drown me? Only in a spiritual sense, all right? But we are going to dunk you. We are going to dip you. It's going to be very quickly, about three seconds. If you're scared of water, don't be. We're going to dip you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're going to dip you up and down. And there's going to be at least two of us, maybe three of us that hold you to do that. Some need more. We'll provide that for you. But the word really means to plunge. It means to dunk. It means to dip. I look at John chapter 3 and verse 1. John the Baptist was baptizing near this area right here. Why? Because water was plentiful there. If all you needed to do was to just sprinkle them a little bit, there'd be no need to be in a place where water was plentiful. Why, was it, why were they baptizing there? Because they were submerging them. They were immersing them. They were plunging them, dipping them into the water, baptizing them. So why are we baptized by dipping them? Very simple, because we follow Jesus, and Jesus was baptized that way. I read it earlier, Matthew 3 and 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And so why do we baptize this way? Because Jesus did it that way. And here's probably one of my favorite points. We baptize by dipping people underwater because it best symbolizes Jesus' own burial and resurrection. Picture it, going under the water into the, into the grave and coming out of the water. Do you see the imagery of that versus being sprinkled or being poured? 
We see that. Now listen, I want to pause right here and say this. Sometimes there are people that have physical limitations that don't allow us to be baptized. I baptized a woman in a hospital bed one time that we could not take her down to the Elizabeth River or to a spa and baptize her. What did I do? I took a sponge and I did drip it on her and got her pretty wet and the nurses didn't appreciate it too much, but she was thrilled about it, all right? And I did it that way. Yes, there are some times, but the general rule, the general posture, general principle is to be dipped. Why? Because it best symbolizes Jesus' burial and resurrection. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. It says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again. Colossians 2 and 12 says, For when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. And in baptism, you were also raised with Christ. When you're baptized, you're saying, I am dead to myself. The old Roger is dead. I have died, just as Christ had upon the cross. I have died, and there's the posture. And when you come out, you say, I believe in the resurrection. And as he has died, I have died. And as he has risen, I rise with him. It's a prophecy of your future. It proclaims that the grave will not hold you. It proclaims that you will not stay underground. It proclaims you will not remain ashes in an urn on top of a fireplace. It proclaims that your body will not be left in the ocean depths, but that the very Jesus Christ who died for you and rose from the dead will also resurrect you. It's a testimony. I'm trying not to preach on this thing, guys. I'm really trying not to. Amen. And so here's what happens. Why do you you baptize? It it shows the picture beautifully. And do you realize that the founders of denominations agree? Look at what Martin Luther said, the founder of the Lutheran church in quotes. He would not have called himself a Lutheran. But here's what he says. He says, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the work imports And the mystery signifies. Interesting. Martin Luther. Look what John Calvin said. John Calvin, quote unquote, the predecessor of Presbyterianism. He wouldn't have called himself a Presbyterian. But look what he says. He says, the word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. And in fact, if you've ever traveled throughout ancient uh, Italy and different places, you will see baptismal pools where they actually dunked people back in the day. And then our good friend John Wesley, who I have so much respect for, again, quote-unquote, founder of the Methodist movement, says, buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. And I think it's interesting Those denominations that follow those three guys do it a little differently, but the guys who were precursors to those denominations said, listen, baptism is to be by being dipped. Number six, how old should our children be before they're baptized? And this is hard because I can't put just an age on it. I can't say, well, they need to be 10 years old or 12 years old. I I, I can't say that. In fact, 
Uh, Dave, are you here? Look, wave at me, Dave, guitar Dave. Are you in the building? Dave's daughter, Brooke. Is Brooke here? A number of years ago, I baptized Brooke, and Brooke was about knee-high to a grasshopper. She was little. And mom and dad came to me and said, hey, will you baptize Brooke? And I thought she was too young. I said, I'll talk to her. And I sat down with Brooke when she was a little girl, and I asked her, I said, Brooke, why do you want to be baptized? And you know, she explained baptism and the salvation message in, G in Jesus Christ better than I can explain it myself. And I said, we're going to baptize you. And we did at a young age. Here is the age that I will say to you. We don't baptize infants here. We baptize believers here at Exalt Church. And so we practice what's called a believer's baptism. And so how old should they be? Old enough here at Exalt Church to make a believable profession. So mom and dad, you can talk to them while you're having breakfast one morning on a Saturday. Ask them to tell you about their faith. Do, do they have a believable profession? So it's impossible to get an age. For some kids, that may be 10 years old, maybe 12. Uh, for some, I was baptized when I was 12 years old, I believe, and I started preaching when I was 9 years old. And I was writing sermons at 9, but my pastor wouldn't baptize me until 12 because in that church, he was just wanting to be very careful. Um, so, but we want to see, do they demonstrate a genuine spiritual life? It's not, oh, that's cool, let's go jump in the water. Oh, it's hot, it's summertime, at, at, out here in July, let me jump in there. No, do they have a believable profession? Can they explain to you what it means to be baptized? Now, some churches, our friends, do practice something called a baptism of confirmation. As you know, I was raised in, in a pretty much a non-denominational setting for the most part. I travel all across the country preaching in like 30 denominations. I was educated by the conservative Presbyterians. That's where I got my Masters of Divinity. And my Presbyterian friends, who I love dearly, baptized uh, through uh, babies, through a baptism of confirmation. And what that means is they do something with the parents come up and in that denomination say, we believe that our child will come to faith and they baptize them in faith, believing it will happen. We don't do that to babies. We do a child dedication service. We did last week where we pray for them that they'll come to faith and we reserve baptism for, for people that are believers. Because here's the reality. The purpose of baptism is to publicly proclaim, I believe that Jesus Christ has died upon the cross for me and he has saved me. It's like a wedding ring and unfortunately I found out recently I'm allergic to gold so I can't wear my gold wedding ring right now. It's a good thing for a pastor to be allergic to gold, don't you think? Amen. Go tell people that. I go to Exalt Church. Our pastor is allergic to gold. Hallelujah. Amen. But a ring signifies the ring is not the marriage. The, wing, the ring shows I am married. In the Amish community, they wear a beard. It shows I'm married. It's a symbol. And so when you're baptized, you're saying publicly, I am a follower of Christ. That's why we don't ask you to raise your hand. That's why we don't ask you to walk down the aisle. That's why we say we reserve it for baptism. I figure if you get in that water, you're pretty serious, and you've decided, yes, I am a Christ follower. Amen? Now, people will ask me sometimes, Pastor, I was sprinkled as a baby. Should I be baptized again? I recommend it. I recommend that as a believer, 
that you are baptized by immersion. Does that make us not want to fellowship with you here at Exalt Church? No. Does that mean you can't serve here? No. We're going to love you. We're going to receive you. But if you were baptized and confirmed as a child, I encourage you to be baptized the Bible way as I have laid it out here today. All right? Now listen, I have a lot of respect for my professors and my friends in the Presbyterian Church who do sprinkle. I respect them highly. I'm not fighting them. I don't disown them. But I do disagree with them on the mode of baptism. Are you with me? Do you know you can disagree with someone and not be obnoxious? Do you know you can disagree with someone and not split about it? It's kind of like the guy they saved on the deserted island, and they save him, and he'd been on the deserted island for 15 years, and there were three buildings, and they asked him, they said, what are these three buildings? Well, that building there is my house. And you're all here by yourself? Yes. Well, what's the other building? Well, that's my church. Oh, that's cool. You worship there by yourself? Yes. Well, what's the other room over there, the other building? That's where I used to go to church, and they ticked me off, so I joined this church. <laughs> Some of you will fight with yourself. Some of you will just fight about everything. Here at Exalt Church, we believe this. In the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty and in all beliefs, we show charity. So if you are a Muslim and you don't follow Jesus, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to witness to you, but I'm not going to be mean to you. Number eight, actually number seven. Let me rush here. Will I have to say anything before I'm baptized? Yes. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to say, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Number eight, why does Pastor Roger prefer to have baptisms outside and in the public. Well, for a practical reason, do you see a baptistry in this school auditorium? No. And I don't want my logistics team to have to haul in gallons and gallons of water, all right, at this stage of the game, and tear it down. That's practical. We may do that at some point in time, but actually, even when I have had a permanent home, I prefer an outside baptism. Why? Because it allows believers to come, invite their families and in the public eye, be a testimony. Do you know how many people who are on vacation are going to watch you get baptized out there? And they're going to ask, what are you doing? And here is what you're going to say. You're not going to say, oh, we're Exalt Church. We're the coolest church in the area. If you do that, I'm going to kick you, all right? What you're going to do, you're going to say, these are Christ followers. And they're telling the world that Jesus Christ has saved their life. Amen. That's what you're going to say to him. So for a spiritual reason, you're out in the public and you're testifying saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. So what should I wear? Very practical. Here's how we do it around here. Come modest. Ladies, gentlemen, wear some modest shorts. All right. And then we're going to give you and wear a modest swimsuit if you wear that gentleman. Ladies, too modest, all right? And then we're going to give you a dark-colored shirt. We're going to give it to you, all right? And you can wear that. It'll say on the front, I have decided. It's going to be right there. And we're going to give that to you free of charge, and we're going to baptize you. So how do I sign up quickly? You can go online. You can sign up online where it says baptism. We'll send you a letter explaining some of the stuff that I have. 
And also, you can sign up today grabbing the Sign Me Up card. Now, we have the baptism. We have one more week here, July the 1st. And then the week after, July the 8th, is the baptism. We want you to sign up, okay? And if your child is really young, uh, I will likely want to talk to them there before the baptism, just to talk to them myself and ask them a couple questions, okay? And if we put it off, don't be offended, okay? It's all right. Um, so just get prepared for that. And so that's how you sign up. And so we have that there, the baptism. Shelter number four, July the 8th at Sandbridge Little Park, $5 for non-residential people for parking, $3 who live in Virginia Beach. And you're going to park, bring a side, we're going to have a picnic. Bring your family. Bring your unsafe friends. They don't have to hear me preach. Bring them. They can have a piece of chicken and have a bottle of water. We'll provide the water and the drinks. You bring the side. And we're going to have a good day. Now, I have covered a lot of theological stuff. If I've offended you, I'm sorry. If you disagree with me, it's okay. You can be wrong today if you'd like. All right. I do, I do love you. All, in all seriousness, after service today, I'm going to hang around front. And if you have questions about baptism, come talk to me. I'm going to ask those, however, if you're not being baptized or don't have questions about being baptized, let me talk to those folks who do. That's what I'm going to be up here for, okay? And... Um, Tommy will be at the door to hug your neck and shake your hand, and so will Laura. But if you want to have questions about baptism, I'll be right up here for a few moments after service. All right, band, why don't you guys go ahead and come on. Why don't you give the band a hand as they come? Amen. As they're coming, I do want to say this. Uh, again, the way I taught today was a little different, question and answer form. But don't let something silly keep you from being baptized. Tommy Siegel's father was having knee surgery the week of baptism. And so he couldn't make it to the ocean. He was afraid because he's going to his knee surgery. We arranged to have a pool. and We baptized him in a pool. If you are, have a phobia of sharks, I sympathize with you. I do too, all right? But if you have a phobia of sharks and you're scared of the ocean and waves... Don't let that stop you from being baptized. Note it on the yellow card and say, I want to be baptized, but I don't want to be baptized in the ocean. We'll make a way to have you baptized. One of the most crazy excuses I had from a woman who had been a Christ follower for most of her life said to me, she wouldn't get baptized because she did not want to mess up her hair. Now, she was legalistic about everything else that wasn't in the Bible. But she wouldn't be baptized because of her buffet, or whatever you call it up there, all right? And I said to her, I said, do you want to be a true Christ follower and get your hair messed up for Jesus? Or do you want to talk about it? She eventually got baptized. We had one woman who could not make it into, into, the, into the jacuzzi because she had knee problems. She couldn't walk up the stairs, and we tried to baptize her. So what do we do? We got a tarp, and I took three big jugs of water, and she thought I was going to sprinkle her. No, we doused her right there in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the picture tells it all. It was beautiful. Listen, follow Christ, and one of the first things he says to do is, be baptized. Do it. 
testify of what he's done for you. God bless you. Listen to the band right now. Amen.